want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? We will not be talking about the Grammys. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't care about that, even a little. Uh, I don't want to and I didn't watch it, but I just read about it and there's just so many things that make me so angry. I'm like, oh, this... And then I remember, oh, this is not a music podcast. That makes me so happy right now because I would just be going on and on and on. Uh, anyway, so glad we don't have to do that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Though I do, I do know from following the fabulous Tom Lorenzo on Twitter that Taylor Swift was wearing a fabulous dress at at the Grammys. That's about the extent of my knowledge of of the Grammys. But but let us move on to, because there's a week of television to talk about, and we also have a fabulous DVD shelf with Les Chapel of the AV Club, and this was television talking about Taxi, and that's going to be at the end of the show. So we got a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Even if you haven't watched Taxi, I think it's worth listening for. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about spoilers for for, yeah, for Taxi. Not really an issue. No, no. But uh, let's let's dive into our feedback. We heard from a bunch of you guys this week. Uh, we heard from Kyle at the website who said, I was shocked by all of the Sherlock backlash. I pretty much disagreed with everything you said about the show on, on this episode of the podcast. I've just been a casual fan of Sherlock since the beginning, but I thought series... Three was fantastic, possibly some of the best work they've done yet. It was an extremely fun season overall while providing some interesting cases and some unexpected twists. Compared with Doctor Who Series 7, Sherlock Series 3 was leaps and bounds ahead in quality and story. Pause. Well, yes, but that's not saying much, Kyle. Just in my in my opinion, at least. That's not saying very much. Anyways, back to Kyle. I absolutely loved the season premiere and found the alternate methods of Sherlock's survival sequences hilarious and my favorite parts of the episode. It's been so long since we had new episodes that I didn't even notice the change in the way they put the words on the screen, so obviously that didn't bother me as much as it did Kate. I also didn't find Sherlock to be too superhero-y. I agree that at times the stories can be a bit of a mess and go all over the place before the case is ultimately solved, but this doesn't bother me at all as I really enjoy the characters and this journey they go on. I will see to you the memory place or whatever it's called. Not really a fan of that. Those are real, I learned this week. I'm fascinated. Mind palaces? Yeah, I kind of want to make... They're a memory trick that anyone can do. It's not like you have to have a particular predilection for it. And uh, it's what that's how people, like, memorize a stack of 20 decks of cards in, in a row in a matter of, like, an hour, is they use a mind palace. So uh, I just don't like the way they represent it visually and the way that they treat it with great import. But uh, I'm sort of fascinated with that concept now. Mm -hmm. Like, use your mind palace like it was his tool belt? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Kyle. We'll talk a little bit more about Sherlock later in the podcast. Any thoughts, Simon? <laughs> if you were upset with us last week, you'll probably still be upset with us this week. I'm just saying. Yep, spoiler alert. We also heard from Augustine. Kate and Simon, if you really want a Sherlock Holmes show that actually focuses on making Sherlock a human being and makes full use of its supporting characters, by all means, start reviewing Elementary on a regular basis. And I do watch Elementary every week, Augustine, and I think that's an interesting point. Obviously, there was that article at the AV Club saying pretty much the same, the same thing. 
I, I do have some issues with, with elementary though. I really enjoy the show. I watch it every week, but I don't know that I think it's better. I think it's just different. I think it has different strengths and different weaknesses. So it's a good point though. I don't know. Are you going to, are you going to check out elementary at any point, Simon? Maybe I've, I've caught glimpses of it here and there, admittedly not enough to fairly evaluate it. Who cares about being fair? Um, and it's never really struck my fancy. And I, and you know, we did review the pilot way back when, and that didn't do much for me. I, I assume it must've improved since then as most things do, but yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know how, especially, I don't know, maybe it's just too much Sherlock, but I don't know how many more iterations of Sherlock Holmes I really need in my life right now. Yeah, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. Uh, we also heard from Jason, who emailed us and uh, about contributing to Sound on Sight. Jason, I have not had a chance to look at, at your, your blog yet and other things, but thank you for emailing us. I will get back to you soon, I promise. And if anyone is interested in contributing to Sound on Sight, we are almost always looking for new writers. So so just go ahead and, and email myself, theteleverse at gmail.com, or admin at soundonsight.org uh, with your what you're interested in and a sample of your writing, and we'll see if if it's a good fit, you know, can't promise anything, but we are always looking for contributors. So I figured I would send that out there. We don't pay with money. We don't pay anything. None <laughs> of us are paid. Just know that immediately up front. It would be nice if we could pay you. It'd be nice if we could pay ourselves. Pay ourselves. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we do. We would do that first. Just, we would do that just first. Just so you know, if you, if you notice like a huge influx in advertising, we're getting the money first and then maybe you're getting the money. <laughs> Um, we also heard from Carl, who sent us so, some some logos that he sort of mocked up together as sort of a, a fan art or exercise thing. And thank you so much, Carl. Those are really cool. And uh, I'll, uh, he said, you know, we'll let you know if we need any any logos for anything coming up. And we're looking for uh, for you know listener contributions. We'll absolutely you know because you've done some fabulous work for us in the past. But the very I still love that that Monopoly board that that he put together for us. Anyways, uh, he also said he can't wait for the X-Files DVD shelf. I hope that one is extra long. It's going to have to be, Carl. There's, yeah, it's, it's just too big. It's just, there's, there's, there's so much. It's, yeah, that, that's just going to happen. He also said that uh, he's just finished up The Americans and he loved it, the first season. And he's currently, uh, he started on Trebase on episode three. And you can tell that it's going to last in his memory for a while. And that he said he had the theme song stuck in his head all day, which was a good thing. So I'm glad you're enjoying Trebase. But if you're already having that positive of a reaction to it in episode three, you're going to like it a lot more as it goes on. Usually people take a while to, to really get into it. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. We also heard from Mario, and he, uh, he's said he only has seen um, the first episode of the season of Sherlock, and we make good points, but he's still going to be watching. But he wants to know if we've seen Fleming, the man who would be Bond, which is premiering this Wednesday on BBC America. Unfortunately, we do not get screeners for BBC America, so no, we have not. Uh, I've heard good things, but I have not seen anything. I don't, are you interested in this? I'm not even that interested in Bond, really, so I don't know how interested i'd be in, in, in an ian fleming thing i like dominic cooper all right though yeah we'll see we, we might be talking about it next week on the podcast um and he also says that he's up to season one episode five of banshee it's not bad should he keep going i haven't seen it simon should he keep going if you're having fun with it up to now i would say you may as well finish it it didn't it didn't blow my socks off but it definitely has some things to recommend it i mean you you already know what the show is about by now so so use your judgment then. Yes. 
Okay. Keith uh, wants to know about Vampire Diaries because he knows we were watching it. Uh, he's jumped ship. Have we? And yes, we have. I know they had their big 100th episode. I didn't care enough to watch. Simon? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> Keith also says, listening to this week's show, Simon is doing a great job of reminding me how much of a curmudgeon he is. Uh, very, and it emphasized each syllable. Very nice. Of course, you're very good at that, Simon. It's, it just comes naturally. You gotta, you, you, why resist? Why resist your natural urges? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure I'm excellent at reminding people how ridiculously optimistic and, and naive I am about some of these shows as well. It's good times. Exactly. So it makes it, it makes, it makes it a good pairing. On Twitter, Amanda was a lot of fun talking about Rick Rowling and what does the fox say? Uh, then of course talked lots of X-Files with Zach, Shannon, Genevieve, or Genevieve, uh, Steven, Chris, Kyle, Ken, Alana, and Sasha, and I'm sure I'll talk Excels with a bunch more of you moving forward. I'm still trying to to power. Th- I've gotten through all of the episodes that uh, are in in the seasons that are considered the great seasons of X Files, and I'm a little scared moving into the the back part of the you know the last part of the of the series. The Robert Patrick years. Well, I like Robert Patrick a lot. I don't know. I'm, we'll see. Well, obviously, we'll be talking about X Files on the DVD shelf not too long from now, so. Well, I guess I should save that. How is it that TV nerds haven't already made like a Fox Mulder, what does the Fox say mashup be like a viral thing? Already? How has that not happened? Oh my I God. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Internet. Do it. Get Make it that. happen. Make it happen. <laughs> we also uh, got a new iTunes rating from, from Andrea R.I.P. Not Really, who is Augustine. Uh, so much fun with Andrea R.I.P. Not Really back when we were on the Walking Dead podcast. Uh, anyway, so as so Augustine says, five stars and that they appreciate our honesty and Jamie updated their review uh, for us on, on iTunes saying that they're still listening even though they don't watch TV anymore because all the shows that, that they watch either got really bad or got canceled and cable is expensive. So so now they listen to the podcast so that they can keep up with conversations with people who are watching TV and they read reviews so that they still know what's going on. They can follow what's going on. And I do that all the time with, with shows. There are certain shows, I mean, less now that I'm doing this myself and, you know, that takes a lot of time. But back before I had a podcast and was, was writing at Sound On Sight, I would read reviews and listen to podcasts about shows I didn't watch frequently so that I could be, you know, culturally uh, well-versed on, on certain of these shows. Do you do any of that, Simon? I do that with Walking Dead a little bit now that I've quit it. I like to know how it's pissing people off. And <laughs> just, I don't know, I, I get a perverse kick out of watching people get angry at things that I've long since given up on. <laughs> Good times. Uh, we're going to take a break now and come back with our week in comedy. They grin, but they don't mean it. They sing, but they don't feel it. They come, but they don't see but they can eat it Think but they don't speak it There's a beast eating every bit of beauty And they all feed it Stop, moment, try to freeze it They find them, they don't seek it At the bar, but they can't eat it Try the best, but they can't eat it Now call somebody, tease it There's a beast eating every bit of beauty And you stay feed it this week in comedy, we have the pilot for Broad City. We have the Mindy Project, Parks and Recreation, Enlisted, Looking, and Girls. There are many other shows that we also watched, but we had to pare it down a little bit. Let's kick things off with Broad City. What did you think? Well, just 
we should probably explain what this is since I don't think anyone knows it exists. And by and by, I don't think anyone knows it exists. I mean, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry yet. I feel like that's a good standard for. That's a good sign. Yeah, it's a good sign of of low knowledge. So this is a, a new series on Comedy Central. It's not a a sketch series, which surprised me, especially based on its title, uh, about as two self described young Jewesses in uh, in New York. I assume. I want to um, say it looks based... like New York. Well, and based on the cameo, it yeah. seems like a fair assumption. Uh, and their, you know, their their adventures in the city and their attempts to make ends meet. I suppose. What I enjoyed about this, first of all, I was delighted to find out it wasn't a sketch show because I feel like as great as some of the of Comedy Central sketch shows are, they don't really need any more right now, I would say, especially with Kroll Show, which is going on right now and i kind of been meaning to check out again and haven't. And, uh, of course, Key and Peele and Amy Schumer, I feel like they've got enough for now. Uh, I also really enjoyed that I feel like you can't help but compare this to girls because, you know, it's another show about young people in New York and their adventures. But what I like about it is the fact that they're not, these characters are, are not even remotely hip. If anything, they're just complete dorks and they seem quite comfortable in, in, in that, which is kind of an unusual depiction. And as much as I didn't laugh a ton, I did, I, I enjoy the tone of the series, which is like ir irreverent, but not too sardonic if that makes sense these characters are allowed to be unlikable but the cast is likable enough that it makes for a fun interplay without being too pretentious i don't know I, I i enjoy the vibe of the show and i think that it's a good pilot in terms of establishing the 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 comic voice well i i think it could actually be funnier but you know they can work on that yeah for me the the thing with the show is that i didn't laugh at all even a little. I kept waiting because you watched it before I did, and you liked it a lot more than I did. Uh, I enjoyed the the cast. They're very likable. I don't necessarily enjoy the characters, and I don't have any desire to spend more time with them. So I don't think I'll check it out again. But I think if you watch this pilot, you'll get a, a good sense of the sensibility of the show and if it's something that you're interested in. It certainly wasn't a bad pilot. It wasn't something that was you know difficult or annoying to watch. It's just I'm not interested in these characters so i don't really care about watching more of it but it is one of the you know there are we watch a lot of pilots <laughs> yes. this podcast and there are many many ones that i just kind of am looking forward to the show just being off the air because i can't believe that these people are getting a bunch of money or or more accurately i don't I, I'm annoyed or frustrated at their the show's priorities and the type of humor it's using. That is not the case at all for the show. It just doesn't really speak to me. So I'm sure there are many people who will enjoy it, but it's, you know, it's not it's not for me. Yeah, I, I would I would add like unlike a lot of new comedies, it feels like it has a point of view, which is always fun. And I, what I appreciated also in comparison to something like Girls is that I appreciate the fact that these characters possess no shame and unlike and they're actually the opposite of a character like hannah horvath for instance because they will do almost anything for money as opposed to feeling like you know they they have to represent their art in order to make ends meet and if they're not doing that they're failing uh you know they're 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 coming from a, a very different sort of sensibility and that results in i think the 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 funniest scene of the pilot involving the cameo and i particularly like the button of that cameo, which didn't involve the main characters at all. But anyway, I, I did enjoy it, and I feel like it could get really good with a little bit of work. 
Next up is the Mindy Project, The Desert, which, of course, you didn't see, but I figured I should mention it because, spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled, go forward 20 seconds now. They had Mindy and Danny kiss, and that's going to be our that's our cliffhanger going into the, the hiatus here. The show's coming back in, I want to say, April? Uh, but uh, the, I thought the episode worked. It was, was funny. We got to see Danny's family, which made a lot of sense. Um, we'll see where things go with the couple but it felt very organic and natural and uh and i thought it worked so uh, obviously i'm a sucker for for mindy danny as as a couple and i think they've mostly done that pretty well this season but it's starting it was starting to be a little too played out and uh there was too much of a stretch where they were you know keeping the characters in stasis for too long so i'm glad that they did jump in with that you know at this point of the show and we'll see what comes next so well done, Mindy. Mindy Project. Good transition. We'll see what happens next. We have uh, Parks and Recreation, which was Farmer's Market, and you were enjoying the chard. Well, you know, as much as it's not a secret that I'm not like, you know, it's clear that Parks is being renewed. It's uh, the way that that came out was highly amusing. But yeah, it's uh, Parks is definitely approaching its sell by date. Uh, but I mean, I'm a sucker for puns, and this was just <laughs> puns, 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 yeah, and more puns. So that was, yeah, that was obviously a win. Yeah, it was fun. They, uh, I thought they did a good job with what would have to be an, an inevitable conflict between Leslie and Ben with work and home life. It it ended well. I thought the ex- escalation worked, and the whole ending up at the fountain thing. I I was laughing, so it they did a good job. Uh, all the farmers market stuff was entertaining for me, and um, yeah, I thought I thought it, I thought it worked. I've also seen next week's episode. Anne and Chris is the name. I think you guys can guess what happens in it based on that title. But uh, it was really sweet, really well done, and uh, I think everybody should try to tune in. I know with the Olympics are starting up soon, and so all the NBC shows are kind of going on hiatus for a while. But this episode is going to be airing this Thursday, and then. Parks and Rec will go on on hiatus for the Olympics, so check it out. It's good. And chart is disgusting. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. What was the description? Like like someone had vomited on lettuce or something. Something like I, I like the the person the the one of the dancers or whatever says mm, bitter. <laughs> yes, it was. That, yes. Chard. <laughs> Next up is Enlisted Pete's Airstream. There's been a lot of buzz about this one. Obviously, this was the one of the episodes that I had seen when I interviewed the co-executive producer, Mike Royce, a few weeks back. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think of this episode? I'm glad this was the one that benefited from the time slot switch. I mean, I think they went up like over a million viewers this week, which... You know, I don't want us. I don't want us to seem like we're on Team Enlisted just because Mike Royce was nice to us. Although it doesn't hurt, not gonna <laughs> lie. Uh, but we're also on Team Enlisted because it's clearly the best new network comedy for. I mean, since when exactly? Yeah, the thing with the okay, and the thing with Enlisted in this episode in particular is, I feel like it's getting overpraised ac- across the internet by critics, including us. And the reason is that we are comparing it to every other show. That we've seen in every other third episode of a sitcom. This is not one of the best episodes, the funniest episodes of the year. This is, at least for me, it's not going to be in contention at the end of the year. But this is way funnier than any third episode of a network sitcom has any right to be. Yeah, well, not, not just funnier, but also, I would say, gutsier in terms of the way it treats the thing that it never actually names. Uh, and 
what's also really encouraging is the way that they're really, really smartly developing the whole ensemble, including the bit parts that if you watch the first episode, you would assume would just remain bit parts and never really get explored. Uh, that's fantastic. And also the way that they're, that they're giving new shades and new layers to characters that we thought were already pretty much established, like Keith David's character, for instance. Uh, and I find it interesting that also we're three episodes in and they're choosing to develop all this stuff while keeping Chris Lowell's character still kind of at the one very amusing level, but not really getting into more with him, which I'm assuming we're getting later. And so there's the promise of future development while getting unlikely development that we didn't see coming. And just there's, you know, as TV veterans, this is stuff we take pleasure in. It's, you know, this is, it's, it's almost like the, the sitcom for people who watch too many sitcoms because it's just, it's doing the usual things better and is doing other things unusually well. And I know there was a particular line that you enjoyed this week. Oh yes. I, as someone who, I mean, who likes straight gin? No one, <laughs> no one likes straight gin. So the, yes, the nobody expects gin line had me, was probably my biggest guffaw of the week. <laughs> yeah. And also just the, like you said, the, the way that they're expanding each of these um, secondary characters and really building them out. I loved the crystal characters uh uh, talk about the the next the neighbor in the the barracks who does the hip hop. Um, you'll never believe it. He's not very good. Yes. It just you know the, these all feel like characters at this point, and and that's that's a very impressive thing, especially for three episodes in. So we'll see if those new viewers stick around for enlisted, but we're certainly hoping that they do. Um, next up, we have looking looking for uncut. Uh, I was not very excited about this episode uh i still like the world but i that main character he's just horribly uh, annoyingly racist throughout well at least he admits it i mean what i find interesting about the looking slash girls uh twofer isn't what they have in common but actually how they're different and what i like about looking is the fact that all these characters are unfailingly earnest which i mean they're not always totally honest with each other but they have a, a basic i think goodness to them even though, you know, they don't always behave well. And yes, that I think that we're beginning to see that Patrick, the main character, is, I think, the weak link in terms of, in terms of you know, viewer identification because he is so... He's not just naive. He's he's naive to the point where it becomes a character flaw and it exposes itself in, th in things that look very much like racism. Uh, and th the ways sort of the other characters poke, poke holes at that was, was interesting to me. Uh, I will say that at, at this point, at least as of second episode, Mustache Guy, who I still think of as Mustache Guy and not as a person with a name, which is a problem, is far and away my favorite character. Yeah, that's Dom. And he, his his storyline this week was much more interesting to me. Uh, but the thing for me with Patrick is that it's all very well and good to, to have him realize that, that he was being racist or that he, that he may have some underlying issues. If that changes or if it, that leads to any sort of introspection, but spending 20 minutes with a guy acting like an asshole and not realizing it. And then he goes, Oh, by the way, I think I was being an asshole. Doesn't really, I've still spent 20 minutes with this guy. Well, I mean, you spent 10, well, 12 minutes but, or whatever. You only took up part of the episode, but you know but, what I mean? Yeah. But I would say that, I mean, we're only two episodes in and we already have characters acknowledging their own flaws, which is more than we can say for, you know, it's time slot neighbor. That, that's true. Speaking of, let's move on to, to talk about girls and this week's episode, Dead Inside. What did you think? 
When I said those things about girls about seven seconds ago, I wasn't complaining because I actually think girls is having a fantastic season. And I think one of the reasons it's it's doing so well is because I feel like they've hit just that perfect balance of exploring reprehensible characters while also letting those reprehensible characters be really, really funny. And, you know, and and also I would say the interplay with the sporting characters, but I just feel like it's it's hit a really tricky balance that it's been trying for a long time to get. And I think this episode was more evidence of that. How did I never figure out, by the way, that Hannah's editor was John Cameron Mitchell? Or at least I did never put two and two together because that was really inspired casting. And it's too bad that he won't be around anymore. <laughs> anyway, I just thought this was uh, probably my favorite of the four episodes so far. And I have to say that I laughed really hard at the sort of Harold and Maudie sequence of them dancing through the graveyard and then no longer dancing through the graveyard <laughs> and then dancing through the graveyard. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty great. I had a lot of fun with this episode, but oh god! For, first, I was ugh, Marnie's the worst because she's being so obnoxious, like making her smoothie and throwing out the other half of her banana and like stuff like that. And then oh, we get to the like end. Five sixths of that banana. Yeah, we get to the end, and then and Hannah is the worst person who has ever been a person <laughs> in that final scene, and she's like, and watching this going, okay, yes, obviously. Adam of the quasi rape last season messed up, not the best you know person out there, but she's gonna screw everything up because she can't just be honest with herself and with him. Yeah, it's amazing how we've seen you know what we've seen of Adam. You watch that scene, and you're like, oh man, Adam, you deserve better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a lot of fun with, uh, of course, Gabby Hoffman's back. I like that they give Jess some more to do this week. And when we were talking about this earlier, you mentioned that they have, in this episode or this season, they have, they've really pinpointed the right amount of Shoshana, and I absolutely agree. That that scene we get with her works really well, and I don't need any more of her in this episode. Yeah, I mean, unless they find a way to broaden that character, it, she just feel, she feels like a classic supporting character on a sitcom who does one or two beats really, really well, very reliably. And you can deploy that in a variety of situations and it will be hilarious. But I feel like we got too much of her last season that was too repetitive. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, so before we move on, I should mention both Looking and Girls will be airing on Saturday this coming week, not on Sunday because of the Super Bowl. So just, you know, FYI, anybody listening, if uh, take, keep an eye out for that on Saturday this week. Uh, what wins your week in comedy? I it's a tough call between girls and enlisted, uh, but I think I'm gonna have to give it to girls. Okay, um, I will. I also really enjoyed New Girl this week. I also really enjoyed Archer. Brooklyn Nine Nine was fun. Um, I'm gonna give it to. I'm gonna cheat and give it to Parks and Recreation for next week. <laughs> oh, that is cheating. It uh, is cheating. Since you mentioned Archer, I just want to mention that so far. Uh, Cheryl's attempts to determine the topic choice for her for her like career defining country song is my favorite new running gag. <laughs> when, well, I'm sure we'll have more with that as the season continues. But for now, let's take a break and come back with our week in genre and reality.
This week in reality and genre, we're going to touch on Top Chef and then, uh, and maybe a little Amazing Race, and then move on to genre with Supernatural, Grimm, and American Horror Story. First up is uh, is Top Chef, and I just figured we should touch in on this one. We're still watching it, um, though we haven't really had much to say, which is why we haven't been discussing it on the podcast. They'll be going into the finale, I want to say next week. It's probably a two-part finale in the tradition of Top Chef, but don't quote me on it. We're down. It is. To- it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're down to our top three of Nicholas and Nina and Shirley and mystery person who's going to be coming back. Who do you think it's going to be? Um, here's the thing. I was like, I'm not sure I care. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, I'm not sure. Th- I mean, I like Shirley and Nina. I kind of feel like they're the ones that I'm principally rooting for. But beyond that, like, I don't feel like the the personalities have distinguished themselves in the way that I was quite hoping. Well, well, first of all, I meant for who do you think is going to win Last Chance Kitchen? Oh, yes. They're like, I don't feel like I have a horse in that race. It's got to be Lewis. He's he's won seven in a row. He's so close. He's got to win. That is impressive. It's a a new record for Last Chance Kitchen. So I'm hoping that Lewis wins that. And uh, as for the final two, uh, I'm very curious to see if it is Lewis. I'm very curious to see how he fares against the others in regular competition. But of of our final three, I'm with you. I would love to see a Shirley and Nina cook off. And mostly I just want to eat the food because every I have a feeling that means that Nina's going to make pasta. And every time she makes pasta, it looks amazing. And I keep hearing all these great things about Shirley's sauces. And my main thing with the, this season has been the food has always looked really, really good and creative. So we'll see who who wins. I'm sure we'll touch on the, the finale, but uh, we just figured we'd, we'd, we'd chime in with that. Do you have any thoughts on the casting announcement of the Amazing Race season, uh, what is it, 24, 25, something like that? Yeah, mostly it's uh, Epic really animals, Brandon and Rachel, the YouTubers. Oh God, really? Those? Th- I mean, there's a bunch that I don't that I'm not familiar with because I haven't been watching The Amazing Race that long. But oh man, and not the heavy metalers, really? Yeah. I, I would love the heavy metal guys to come back. Uh, the, the, the ones you should be excited for, based on previous seasons, are the Cowboys are a lot of fun, Jet and Cord, Flight Time and Big Easy are a lot of fun, and of course we have Mark and Bopper back. Yeah, I just, uh, I feel like the others kind of cancel those out. We'll see. It depends on when people get eliminated. I'm hoping, like, for example, the country singers, I mean, there's a, they seem like they're very nice people, but why are they back? They are not memorable to me at all. Were these voted on? I, no, no. They're, they, we, we have no say. I just don't understand which executive was like, you know which uh, two-woman team we need back? Them. Yeah, that's really strange. Yeah. Anyways, well, let's move on to our, our week in genre. I wanted to mention Supernatural because they brought in Timothy Omenson as Kane, as in Kane, Kane, the mark of Kane, Kane, and Abel Kane. And that was really creative. Uh, one of the best things a show like Supernatural can do is bring in somebody like Omenson for a guest character. He was very, uh, very compelling and incredibly watchable. And it, make, it made me. As much as I really do enjoy Psych and enjoy him on Psych, I would love to see him get more to do, get more interesting roles. So with Psych theoretically going off the air pretty soon, somebody should snap up Omenson. Anyways, uh, let's let's move on to Grimm. And uh, this is what I'm mentioning. You can find my full review up at Sound on Sight, but I'm mentioning it because 
we had Rosalie and uh, and Monroe's engagement. It was adorable and perfect and very well done. Uh, and I also had to specifically mention their final title card of you know ma- massive cliffhanger. Oh my god! And then the then it cuts to black and oh pops up in a title card. It was delightful and um, highly entertaining and keep it up, grim people. I love that they do those title cards every time. I would laugh out loud. I laughed more heartily out loud after, after that title card of Grimm than I did at most of the comedies this week. That's always impressive. And yeah, I, I don't watch Grimm, but that is the sort of formal jokery that I wish more shows would get all up in. Well, yeah, and just them not taking themselves seriously. So more shows should have that sense of humor about themselves. Uh, speaking of... Let's move on to American Horror Story Coven and uh, their penultimate episode this week, Go to Hell. Oh, American Horror Story. I'm going to start with the good stuff. I really liked the um, the aesthetic device of the silent film opening to demonstrate the Seven Wonders. That was really cool. The um, I actually liked the way they resolved. If I'm assuming it's resolved. I don't think we really need Delphine next week. Uh, I'm just going to take the Delphine thing as resolved, and I think that in general, the way they handled that plot line was really smart. Uh, I didn't need the news clippings this week. That was horribly distracting. But beyond that, I approve American Horror Story. Well done. You had your cake and you ate it too. Um, Lily Rabe is awesome, and watching her kick the shit out of Emma Roberts was fantastic. But yeah, this is not um getting any better is it it just keeps getting worse it does it does and absolutely i absolutely have to agree with you about that opening that opening was wonderful i love that i was watching this that opening to the episode going if this is what you can do why are you doing so much other stuff <laughs> this is so creative and invent and, and and fun and and you know beautifully executed and then you have to follow it up with that <laughs> yeah that that to me is coven in a nutshell just so many great ideas so many interesting visuals so many great actors and a handful of interesting characters in a bunch of situations you just really don't care about which is really unfortunate why the hell do you send away two of your characters in the final moments of last week's episode and then bring them back in the opening moments of this episode what the fuck? It wasn't, quite in the, it wasn't quite in the opening moments of this episode, I don't think. But yeah, it was really dumb. They could they could have at least waited until the finale for that if they were going to bring them back. I actually started to think, are we going to have a Violet-free episode? No, we're not. Anyway, um, and yeah, huge waste, by the way, uh, just retrospectively, huge waste of Evan Peters this season, especially considering he was so good last season. But anyway... The does anyone care who the supreme is? No one. No, cares who the supreme no. Is. I don't want any of them to. I know some people are still voting for Nan. That would be the most interesting, mostly because she's been off screen, so she hasn't been able to annoy me recently. But uh, I mean, obviously, Lance Reddick is awesome. So much fun. But oh man, as I, I can I just mention since we mentioned visuals, we loved. I have to also give some shout out to that pan in the chicken shop with Lance Reddick standing in the queue. <laughs> that was a fantastic image. Yeah, and so there there is some some good stuff in here and you're absolutely right. I could watch Lily Rabe just beat the crap out of the character of Madison just on a that's a gif. I need a gif of that because it was delightful. But 
Fiona dies basically off screen, and I enjoyed the anticlimax of that, except I felt like I had wasted most of the season following it for nothing. Oh my god, I'm so frustrated. So frustrated. Yeah. It's going to need to be the greatest hour of television of all time to make this to make this season worth it basically which is too bad because you know there is so much that this show does interestingly or well that most other shows wouldn't attempt it's just a whole bunch of other crap you have to get through to get it which is really unfortunate yeah so what wins your week in in genre sir well, I only had American Horror Story, so I guess that. <laughs> Lovely. I'm going to give it to, I'll give it to Grimm with a shout out to Supernatural because I did enjoy that episode quite a lot. No, American Horror Story, you don't win this weekend. You, the opening of American Horror, Horror Story could win, but unfortunately there's another 40 minutes after that. There's been rumblings that they're doing um, an actual period piece again next season, which yes, please do that. Yeah. Please. Yeah, let's move on to drama. So we'll be right back after this with our week in drama. When the storm of life is raging, stand by me, love. When the storms of, of life is raging, yes, stand by me. This week in drama, we have episode two of Sherlock, The Sign of Three. We have Justified, Good Intentions. We have Parenthood, You've Got Mold, and True Detective, The Locked Room. So what did you think of Sherlock? Oh, Sherlock. I'll say this. I thought it was better than last week, or at least less infuriating. But man, how can people not think this season is a huge mess? It felt like there was about uh, being charitable somewhere between 25 and 35 minutes of plot in this episode and a whole lot of comic padding, some of which was funny. I'm not going to lie. I did chuckle at the cheap text gag of city thing and stuff like that. Okay. That was funny. That was just, you know, broadly humorous, but man, so much padding. Yeah. This season is really just scraping by with aren't Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman good together. And yes, they are. And it's interesting to watch Sherlock have to give a best man speech, but you, you shouldn't be basing your entire episode on let's watch Sherlock give a best man speech. There should be a story there. And there, there really, there's barely a story here. Yeah. It, I mean, it felt like the entire, it felt like the, the writers Moffat Gaddis and company came up with the, the thing about the stabbing, which was cool. And then they hung everything around that. It was literally the only novel concept they came up with. And then they came up with this insanely convoluted, it was all the same case explanation, which I cannot make heads or tails of days later. Well, yeah. And then there's just all the, the coincidence that's required to tie it in. So he just happens to be working on this case 
which happens to tie in with his only friend's wedding. And it's just, it's really, it's really annoying as far as I'm concerned. The, the case itself, I mean, I, I've had more time to, to think on it, of course, but, uh, but it, it's, it's very straightforward to me, but again, you, you like you, you go into the mind palace and we, ha- it just basically let's watch Sherlock, Sherlock stand around by himself and pontificate. So either he's in his mind palace and he's got the, the different women and different people there, or he's standing in front of the room and it's just the, let's watch everybody else watch how brilliant Sherlock is. It's exactly the same thing we complained about in the premiere. And uh, I, I have very little interest in it. There's elements I like about this episode that after next week's episode, I am less fond of. So I'm not going to really go into that. We'll talk about it next week. But um, but yeah, this is just so much wasted opportunity. And there's the, so many structural problems. Let's, shall we move on? I just want to quickly add, I had an additional bias on this episode, which is that I don't like weddings. It will surprise no one to hear that I hate weddings. And this was like being trapped in one that just never ended. So, yeah. yeah. And it will surprise no one. I like weddings and I still didn't like this one. So, there yes, you go. There you go. Let's move on to justified good intentions. Um, are you feeling more positive towards the season or are you still hesitant? I'm a, still hesitant about the whole prospect of the long-term goals slash depiction of the crows but i think that the episode itself was really fun Uh, i always like when episodes revolve around raylan screwing up and having to cover his his tracks i was just re-watching um the 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 season three episode in which the fbi thinks raylan is dirty which uh, was hilarious in in retrospect and um you know this episode is actually much more trivial than that at all. Revolve. I mean, everything bad happens in this episode basically because Raylan can't keep it in his pants, which is always a hilarious situation for them to be in, and it seems to happen once every season and a half or so. Um, I do. I find it interesting that they tease the whole is Amy Smart uh, dirty or, or like you know criminally involved or not, and I think that honestly she's not really. I think that she's you know she smokes pot, but. I think that's going to be pretty much the extent of it. Well, and plants crack at people's houses. Yeah, but Raylan does stuff like that all the time. I don't think he plants crack. He just beats up suspects and witnesses. Well, he also, he has planted evidence. No, okay. (laughs) Still. (laughs) Yeah, come on. (laughs) We were talking about this earlier. I don't think she's clean. I think she's dirty. I think she's some level of it. I think we already know that based on what we found out in this episode. It's a matter of how involved in everything is she and i think i don't know it seems like they want you to think she's dirty given the the her physicality when she's leaving it feels very brusque and very like well uh, i'm got that all taken care of i found that one hidden safe and taken the thing out or planted the thing i don't know but um but i did enjoy the performance from amy smart i as far as the crows go i like that we're already seeing a conflict between uh, the 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 Florida Crows and Boyd. When we speak of Boyd, yes, you were right. Clearly, they're going for some sort of you know supposed chemistry between him and Helen Manners' wife. Sorry, I don't remember the actual character name. <laughs> Sam Anderson's Mara. Mara, yes. Uh, clearly, there's supposed to be something there. I wasn't really feeling. I was watching that scene and I wasn't thinking about either of those two characters. I was thinking, first of all, Ava would not be happy with this. Boyd did not cool. And then I was also thinking just as much, Simon was right. 
<laughs> I can't take any credit for that because I'd, I'd read a, a postmortem on last week with Grammyost and he was already talking up their chemistry and I was like, oh, I wasn't feeling that yet, really, but I felt like they were hinting at it. I did think that uh, that actress's performance was way better this week, so I think she, she's kind of growing on me. The, the whole actual femme fatale angle, I think, is suiting her better. But uh, yeah, I mean... Boyd's not a good person. Like we, I, I, you know, we watch that scene, we feel betrayed. But it's like, why do we exactly? Well, because his relationship with Ava has been like his the single, you know, sort of you know endearing and uh, likable thing about him. It's been the thing you can rely on. And we had that wonderful proposal last season and everything. So nothing's happened yet. But, but you remember that he's a person who's killed a bunch of dudes, right? Yeah, and? I'm just, and... I'm just saying, I find it funny. I'm not saying you're wrong to feel like that. I just think it's amusing the things that we oh, yes. get hung up on and don't get hung up on. Definitely, definitely. Any other thoughts on Justified, or shall we move on to Parenthood? Uh, hoping for more good things. Parenthood, uh, we, I wasn't angry a lot this week, so that's, a, that's an improvement. Yeah, I think they uh, did several things right here, and a big thing was uh, Amber gets the week off. Yes. Much, much needed. Drew gets the week off. Did not miss him at all. Um, and then you have Camille and Zeke actually talking to each other, which was very, very much needed. That's basically how I feel about Joel and Julia. I still think that's a problem, the way that they're handling that, because we have no idea. I have no idea where Joel is coming from, so that's really not working. However, everything we get with them this week, because it's not really about that, it's about how they're going to handle him moving out. That all worked really well for me. Everything with the kids, everything with, with Julia, and, and her returning home at the end at the same time we, that we have Crosby there the, with the kids everything that really really worked for me yeah I mean to you know I don't want to get into this too long but you know my parents never split up to my knowledge your parents no. never split up <laughs> but I'm willing to bet that I'm almost everyone I was growing up with that happened to them I'm you must know people mm -hmm. surely as well so that brought back a lot of thoughts i mean that's that's that stuff can't not be wrenching to watch yeah um any thoughts on hank and sarah i would like them a lot in this and also also of course uh oh we got to talk about the school freaking adam oh. and christina <laughs> you know i'm just glad they're getting if it's more time we're spending with adam and christina great and like less time we're spending with characters we care less about that's great is it realistic no or i mean at least it won't it i'm assuming that the way they're going to handle it won't be realistic but yeah i mean it's not great but it's something yeah so was the election we didn't really care about the election i it didn't bother me the way it bothered other people but man what kind of people go oh this this situation is messed up and it's going to really be tricky for our kid i know let's open our own school incredibly privileged people you know why they can do that because they're on a tv show because they're on a tv show they're not gonna you know decide to do this and lose all of their money and be you know bankrupt and destroyed financially because they decided they could just open up a school yeah i mean but that's all right because they've got a recording company oh yeah, they just opened up a label <laughs> on and this and is... haven't put out any records on yet. By the way, yeah, yeah. And by the way, they also have a daughter who's I'm guessing not paying for her own college, even though they don't seem to remember she exists. Yeah, I've already forgotten she exists. So, and they also have a baby that a toddler that I don't know who's watching the toddler while they open up a school, but yeah. 
Anyways, enough said. True Detective. True Detective. Let's get to that. This was my favorite of the three True Detectives so far. I don't know about you, but I think it's developing nicely. Um, we got more with Monahan this week, which I think was was nice. I mean, some of it is the same, but I think that her developing sort of rapport with McConaughey is interesting. Hopefully that's not heading into just straight up a fair territory, but I like the idea that, you know, her husband is just this guy who buttons up and does not talk. And all McConaughey does, all Russ does is talk and talk and open up about everything. He's an open book. And I think that that relationship developing is an, is a smart move. The, and I, and I like the fact that we're only three episodes and we've already gotten the full tilt crazy, from Harrelson's character. So, um, you know, having already bringing him to that bring nice and early should make for an interesting relationship between them later on. Uh, but mostly what I liked was just the suffocating atmosphere of the last 10 minutes or so. That was just great to watch. And the, 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 the visuals in that last sequence were stunning. So I'm getting, I'm giving them a lot of props for that. I really liked the church at the opening. I thought that, 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 worked very well and was interesting and provided fodder for conversation. I agree. I really like the conversation we get between Monahan and, uh, and McConaughey. And I like that. Uh, I like that their conversation seemed very much based on, you know, addiction and talking about that sort of stuff. And it didn't, there wasn't flirting that I was seeing. So it, it doesn't seem like that's really about anything like that. Like that they're trying to build towards any sort of a, you know, more intimate relationship between the two of them. Um, I was watching this the whole time going, oh, look, the one we thought was the crazy one is the normal one. And the one we thought was the normal one is the crazy one. I mean, you're right. At least, well, at least they're getting it out of the way early. Well, they're getting it out of the way, but I I don't think we're supposed to think Rust is well-adjusted. I don't I don't think that, that Harrelson is totally off base when he's criticizing McConaughey for being, you know, for, for the way that he's attacking the situation. Yeah, yeah, but uh, as far as, like, the family life and, you know, the one who knows that he's messed up and the one who thinks he's normal but is actually, you know, that's, we've seen that so many times in, di you know, in different shows and, and movies and things. I'm just, like you said, I'm glad they're getting that out of the way, hopefully, and so we won't have to deal with that anymore. But uh, but I was, I, everything with, Maca everything with Harrelson's girlfriend, I'm really tired of. I don't need don't need it so hopefully that's you know finishing up and we won't have to deal with that anymore and we can just focus on the more interesting elements of the case yeah i mean i did like him bursting into the apartment and then almost being the shit out of the guy and being like i just like yelling i don't do this <laughs> like i actually laughed out loud at that because it was really funny uh and also i i laughed at his sort of you know, we, we get what seems like it's going to be an elongated sex scene with Monaghan, and then it just kind of gets back to him in the room, just kind of staring off into the middle distance being like, yeah. <laughs> like, that was a really nice way to handle that, I thought. Well, we'll see how the rest of the season develops, but uh, what wins your week in drama? Um, I'm torn between Justified and True Detective. I think True Detective stepped it up for me a little bit this week, especially stylistically, so I'll give it to them. I'm going to give it to Justified, but yeah, much a more interesting installment of True Detective, and, and we'll see what happens next. So that wraps up our Week in TV. A few show notes. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this podcast where you can leave us a comment, let us know what you thought of the various uh, shows in our Week in TV. You can also, of course, email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook to to see the goings on at Sound on Sight TV, and I will do my best to 
get back to that one. It's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are at Sucker Howl. And Simon, what's our question of the week? Uh, well, I guess somewhat inspired by True Detective. I'm curious who people would like to see do sort of a limited run deal on on TV, so that you know people who wouldn't normally stoop to TV. I like that this is still a concept. Um, it's although every year it gets a little bit more eradicated. Like I was reading Billy Bob Thornton's comments about how there's no difference anymore. Period. Which is yes, that is correct, Mr. Thornton. Despite your thoughts on Canada, anyway. So you know, who else would you like to see sort of do a a, a the true detective thing of of doing a limited run on TV so that they have time to do it? Interesting. I'll have to ponder that because I don't have an answer ready. I should, but I don't. Okay, well, let us know what you think. And so now let's take a break and listen to a clip and some music and come back with Les Chapel to talk taxi. Excuse me? Um, my name is Elaine Nardo. They told me to ask for Louis. Yes, ma'am. I'm Louis De Palma. Oh, hi. I hope there's no trouble. If there is, I'll be glad to help in any way I can. Oh, no, no. It's just that they told me I'd be starting work today as a driver. Oh, here's my hack line. You're a cab driver? What do you mean busting my chops here? Make them believe you're a regular person. Go <laughs> wait over there. I'll call your name and number. Till then, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> What's wrong? Don't they feed you in there? Hey, witty person. Fill out this form. And I hope you fill it out better than you fill out your pants. <laughs> See, we're all fun here. Now, you mustn't be too upset with Louie, miss. He's really a very nice guy. He'd give you the scales off his back. <laughs> well, I don't have to worry too much about him. I'm only going to be working here part-time. Oh. Yeah, I have this other job oh. where I work... Yeah, yeah, I know. We're all part-time here. I'm part-time. I only work 60 hours a week. No, really. I, I really work as a receptionist at an art gallery. Oh, yeah? No, I'm, I'm not really a taxi no, driver. No, no, I understand. You see that guy over there? Now, he's an actor. The guy on the phone, he's a prize fighter. This lady over here, she's a beautician. The man behind her, he's a writer. Me, I'm a cab driver. I'm the only cab driver in this place. <laughs> Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD show, we are happy to welcome back Les Chapel to help us discuss the classic sitcom Taxi. Les, thank you. Of course, Les is from the AV Club, and that was television, and you've come on in the past to talk about some other fabulous shows. Welcome back, and what made you want to talk about Taxi? Hey, guys. Well, part of the reason is because I have a feature on Taxi that's going to be coming up at the AV Club this week. And so my thoughts on the subject are very are very clear, and I was in the mood to talk about the show again, because having gone through the entire series of Taxi and just watching the whole show, it's just astonishing how good of a sitcom it is, even tw even thirty years later. 
30, 40 years later, this is still a sitcom that I think honestly still belongs in the top tier discussion. Yeah, I was very, I mean, obviously I had some familiarity with it. It's been around, like you said, forever. And, you know, just even through cultural osmosis, if you're a TV fan, you've heard of Louis De Palma, if you've heard of nothing else from this show. So I was aware of it, but I hadn't really jumped in before this. And so I was really glad to get the opportunity because I was hugely impressed with how how consistent it is and how quickly it found its feet right in that pilot. It knew exactly what it wanted to be. And that's a rare thing. It is from the minute you entered the taxi world. I mean, there's some adjustments to the world that are obviously happening right away. It's the first time that say John Burns has come into the garage. It's Elaine's first day of work. But from the very first moment that you enter taxi universe, there's very much a lived in feeling to this place. Like you feel like the, like it looks like a grimy old taxi depot where cabs have been going out night after night, year after year, and all of these drivers have have been doing this for so long, like they can name every street. And there's the bit where uh, John's trying to calculate his tip from a certain amount and every cab driver can yell it out without even stopping to calculate. Yeah. It has a very, like you say, very lived in feel and, and, and not even just the, the world, like the set design is great and all of those elements as well, but even just each of these characters, uh, certain ones obviously fit into particular sort of tropes or familiar sort of roles within the group. Uh, you know, the Tony Danza's playing the dumb one, for example, and Mary Lou Henner's playing the hot girl. Uh, but they, but each character within that just feels very distinct and, and fleshed out. And that's, that's definitely something that we don't tend to see uh, at the, right now, at least on, on network sitcoms in the first few episodes. So I was, I was impressed by it. Uh, Simon, had you seen the taxi pilot or were you familiar with the series at all before this? I'm pretty sure my familiarity with taxi was limited to the sort of little cast reunion bit in man on the moon, which otherwise I really don't remember very well as a film. Uh, so I, I hadn't seen any taxi actual taxi ever. So it was completely new to me. Yeah, that's one of the sort of disappointing things about Taxi these days is that it's not very accessible as a sitcom when you compare it to, say, something like Cheers, where the complete thing is on Netflix streaming. And there was that bit like a couple of years ago, it seemed like everyone was going through Cheers at the same time. And it's still in syndication all over the place. Whereas Taxi, even it's not streaming anywhere, save a few episodes on CBS.com. And other than the occasional Nick at Night showing, it's really not in his circulation as much as it used to be. Well, and you can easily, I was able to easily find DVDs for the first four seasons, thanks to my lovely local public library. But I couldn't find season five, the NBC season. And so, yeah, it, it was, I was surprised. Uh, it, it is one of those shows, and I think you've touched on this less already but it is one of those shows from this time period that i think is actually really really consistent really fun and entertaining and really good but is somehow not mentioned in that same breath with cheers and with with some of the other sitcoms from this time period that people always think of it it, it does feel a little more overlooked and that's that's very odd to me uh and then again i i really enjoyed the show simon you haven't let us know what you thought of it uh i really enjoyed it and i think that if anything it's odd that it's not as accessible uh, as some of those other shows, like you mentioned, because it has aged really, really well. And I think one of the reasons that's the case is because in terms of the pacing, it's very relaxed, but not in a, not in a, in a usual hangout show kind of way. Uh, there's a willingness when a bit is going well, or when a, when a character is on a particular tear, just to let them stay in that moment and extend it for seemingly five minutes at a time. 
There's not this hurried sense of we need to get this episode's plot out of the way, get all the beats done, and that's it. We've only got 22 minutes. It feels very unhurried, which makes sense given that so much of the show does have that hangout quality, but it's different and more modern, I think, than a lot of other shows of the period. And, and the, the comic sensibility just still translates so well, even though the show is, at this point, 30 years old. The pace thing is absolutely something that's so important about Taxi. One of the things that strikes me about a lot of these episodes, particularly in the early seasons, is there's a very theatrical feel to the show. It very much feels like you're seeing, in some cases, a a play being acted out. You have scene one, Mario's, scene two, the garage, scene three, the DMV. And the scenes just go on and on for like, but not in the sense that it feels long. It's essentially just less letting the scenes breathe, letting people talk and letting uh, events play their course. And that's just, that's the sort of timing that really you don't see that much on newer sitcoms, especially because things have been trimmed down so much to accommodate for advertising and lowered and lowered time. Well, and also Mm -hmm. just the, 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 the relationship that all of the characters, more specifically all of the performers, have with the audience, it's, it's, it's palpable. It, this is a show that obviously it has a live studio audience, and the laugh track is uh, very much present in, you know, in memorable ways. I'm sure we'll talk about the reveal of Danny DeVito in the pilot eventually. But, but unlike a lot of laugh track comedies now it doesn't feel like it's been sweetened it doesn't feel like it's been uh, goosed so that a moment that doesn't feel like it earns a laugh has one anyways and and it also you can tell that these performers are comfortable waiting for the for the audience and they're they're comfortable you know letting the scene or letting the moment have as much time as it needs for the appropriate you know reaction from the audience and then moving on without it feeling like it's it's stopping and starting um and that that familiarity with the with the live element to or of the performance in front of the audience as well as just you know with the interplay between the characters i think is really important in and making it feel like like you've both said like such a relaxed and uh amiable show you mentioned interplay between the characters, and I think that's another reason I enjoyed the show so much is that there's so little sort of artificial drama between the characters there to sort of heighten conflicts or whatever. The, the, the interrelationships between all these characters is, yes, it's amiable, but it's not amiable in a simple way. They're, they feel, uh, you know, these, these interrelationships actually feel real, and, you know, that comes into play in interesting sorts of ways when they do sort of sort of tackle the romantic issue, which is also handled in a much more relaxed, very unsitcom like way that I was really appreciative of. Exactly. Like the whole garage, everyone you can tell that there's the roles that they they're comfortable in, in and that's they've evolved in over the years. Like you have Alex, the Judd Hirsch character, who's very much the lifer. He has that wonderful line in the pilot that sums up the show worldview. I'm a cab driver. I'm the only cab driver in this place. And he's the character who has the experience and is essentially the father figure of the garage. So whenever people have problems, they come to him. And part of him likes helping these people, but there's a part of him that just grows increasingly frustrated at the fact that he's the one who has to deal with all of that. But it's not like people are just these wacky things are happening to him. These are just people who need help, and reluctantly, he's going to go along and help them. Well, and more than that, these are these are coworkers. Uh, yes, they 
you know, they make their own sort of odd codependent family and they become friends who go and support each other outside of work. But these would not be friends if they didn't, you know, if they didn't all work at Sunshine Cabs. These are not people whose lives would intersect and, you know, have personalities such that they would be, you know, it's not like Tony Danza would be making sure he went to see Jeff Conway in a play if they didn't, you know, have that shared experience of, of working together. And th it often feels like shows where there's a workplace setting go out of their way to make sure that all of these characters are bestest friends ever. And it just feels incredibly phony. So so when they have this sort of relationship, like there's not too much played with Mary Lou Henner, uh, Elaine being, you know, ridiculously gorgeous, which she is, but they don't they don't try to feel like there needs to be a will they won't they or that there needs to be this this needs to be an issue that's addressed with each of the various potential partners for that character it's just this is a coworker yeah she's hot it's cool that i have a hot coworker but it's not like there's an implicit of course that we need to get her together with somebody because that's not what life is like yeah, exactly. I mean, they do play. They do play with that. Uh, occasional points in the season. There's a and over the course of the of the show, particularly between her and Alex, there's a season mm -hmm. four episode called Vienna Waits, where the two wind up going on a trip to Europe that has a very beautiful, poignant, poignant pin on that relationship. Noel Murray actually wrote a great essay on it for the AV Club. But again, like you said, like they don't play her up as the hot one everyone's trying to score with. I mean, the, the, the recurring joke is Louis always saying lewd things to her and always trying to score with her, but that's, that's because he's Louis De Palma. And I think really, basically, we could spend this whole podcast talking about Louis De Palma because he is one of the great comedic creations in all sitcom history. First of all, I just wanted to mention Vienna Waits is a, a really interesting episode um, for the reasons you mentioned. How plausible is that final scene? How many times in human history has that actually happened? I'm not really sure. But as a, as a sitcom beat, it's certainly very interesting, and I don't know if I've seen that before or since. Uh, but yes, Louis De Palma is, is incredible. DeVito just kills it from day one. And I, I, there are so many episodes where he just steals every scene he's in. Well, speaking of day one, we should talk about the, about the reveal. In the pilot, he spends his whole time at the cage bellowing orders, and you can tell everybody simultaneously fears and loathes the guy. And then suddenly he comes out of the cage, and he's Danny DeVito's size. And the, reaction <laughs> the, studio, the, the studio audience reaction to that is great, not because they're laughing at him, but because they're laughing at exactly what the audience is, at what we're laughing at, the fact that, Okay, this guy, he looks like this, but he can he runs this garage. Well, and because everyone had built up expectations of that nobody knew Danny DeVito before this and nobody in the studio audience knew what he looked like and knew that he was a shorter gentleman. And so nobody was expecting that. It's just you can hear just the 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 laugh of surprise just cuz, you know, they would have never guessed that he was Danny DeVito size, like you say, Les. And it's just, it's a wonderful, really enjoyable element uh, in, in that scene. And it's also a very nice argument in favor of live studio audiences. If you can pull off, you can't pull off a moment like that in any other way. And, and so that's, that's the reason whenever, whenever you hear the various arguments cited about that people should bring back the multi-cam sitcom or the reasons the multi-cam sitcom could come back, Taxi's Exhibit A for why it should back if it's done right if you've got a cast who can work with that timing and you've got jokes that are perfect that are written to handle that timing there's no reason why it can't be fantastic well and also if you don't feel the need to try to turn everything into a joke 
you know, if you don't feel the need to sweeten every potential laugh line, then it it's a way more effective uh, approach to, to your comedy. But I do want to talk a bit more about uh, Louis De Palma because you're absolutely right, both of you. It's a wonderful, hilarious, fantastic character. Danny DeVito's performance. Throughout the five-season run, especially in the earlier run, you can tell there are times that that feel like maybe it would have been good to have another another pass where people kind of stumble over their words a little bit or the timing isn't quite right. And I did notice that a few times with, with DeVito's performance. But in general, I mean, he's he's absolutely hilarious with, with almost nothing. And we'll talk about Andy Kaufman because the same thing is true for him. But there's I can name off the top of my – we have Louis Sees the Light, his, his conversation with God. We have Louis Goes Too Far when he's talking with oh. Elaine. Or, or Oh, that's an amazing episode. Deciding how much money in Cooking for Two. Oh yeah, and then there's that moment yes. in Reverend Jim a Space Odyssey where he gets slipped a where he gets slipped a tranquilizer and he sings Moonlight Bay to the garage. Oh, that's so good. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because that that's, that's that's the great thing about Danny DeVito is he's uh, he is pl- clearly playing to an audience, and you totally buy that this character is playing to an audience as well, even if it's an audience that only he can see. Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense for you know he's at his pulpit with a PA system every day. So it makes sense for him to have this theatricality to him, especially because, you know, it's the only way to to make the job any fun. Well, and and, uh, then another element to the character that I always enjoy is when they do bring in touches like his mother or or other elements here and there. I, I like when we see his apartment in Cooking for Two, and it's just shitty rat hole. It's a terrible apartment. And you can see that he doesn't, uh, you know, there, there's such such a trend, and we've talked about this in the Televerse before, to to avoid the middle class or working class as a setting for any show, uh, and let alone um, you know people's homes when you see them. I'm, I'm pretty sure on Parenthood this week, the the bathroom that we saw was larger than my bedroom in the last apartment I had. Uh, <laughs> but 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 when we get to Louis's apartment, of course it's this tiny, dingy place that is perfect for who Louie is and it also shows why he's still working this crap job yeah there's a there's a great quote that he has in i think season five when he's actually looking to buy a bigger apartment i always dreamed about having one of those classy joints with the pipes inside the walls (laughs) (laughs) although is it weird that i'm kind of into jim's condemned loft thing oh my oh oh yes another memorable character reverend jim ignatowski he is Amazing. Everything that Jim does is amazing. And yes, I love the condemned building and I love his rat, just how unapologetic and rational he is about explaining it. And really just the fact that he can really sort of explain all the decisions that he's made in his life, even if what any to any out there, they're like, why are you doing this? I, I will say that the, the, the scene with the wrecking ball going through his living room and him eating breakfast seemed to invent the young ones. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. I I just love the set design of it. The 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 wall of doors is it's just lovely and Oh man, yeah. There there's a wonderful moment in Jim in season 2's Jim gets a pet where he's just where Bobby needs to go into his room and he just stops and looks at the doors for like 10 seconds because he has no idea which one it actually is. <laughs> Oh, man. And, and obviously, we're very familiar with this cast. This is a famous cast. He would go on to do many other things. But uh, but especially Christopher Lloyd, he's so young. I, you know, it, I might be crazy, but I swear to God, young Christopher Lloyd looks kind of like Johnny Lee Miller right now. 
Oh my oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I could I can total I can totally see it. Maybe Right. Yeah, Giant Lee Miller if he was more rubbery faced and taller. Yeah. Yeah, but still, you can see it. Like we yeah. talked about DeVito's physicality. Lloyd's also got a great physicality. He's just the sort of way he sort of shambles along and then as if he's not really in control of his limbs and every time he sits down, it's like he never wants to get up again. <laughs> well, I do think we have to talk about Andy Kaufman when we're talking about oh, these absolutely. particularly memorable performances. And and I should stress, I think this entire cast is fantastic. I think they really lucked out. Uh, or, or I shouldn't say lucked out. They cast it really well. Absolutely. And like, like I said, the whole cast, they and I, this is something I did mention in my article, they didn't cast, none of these people were big stars. They'd all worked semi-regularly here and there. I mean, and Kaufman obviously was very well known in the comedy circuits, but these were all just, I think the fact that they got a lot of working class actors really helped to cement the working class feel of the show. Yeah, you got the sense that these are people who have had the, that Bobby experience of uh, waiting for the phone to ring. And, exactly. Uh, now, Evan, yeah, they, and they never hesitate to bring that in. There's uh, in season three when Tony learns that he has to retire from boxing because Tony is a terrible boxer and gets knocked out almost every time he goes in the ring. He has this terrific monologue about the perfect sequence of punches he nailed in one fight. And that actually did come from Tony Danza's real life because Danza was a professional boxer at the time he was shooting Taxi. Oh, that I didn't even know that, but that that's Neither wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's talk about Andy Kaufman though and, and Latka. Yes. Because watching this, I mean, first of all, I think the character is hilarious. And when you add the extra element of of who Andy Kaufman is, just the entire role feels like a performance art piece. <laughs> just like I feel like I'm watching Andy Kaufman, not not Latka, as much as he is treated very much as a character and a you know, very important integral member of this this entire group but there is just an extra element of bizarre wonderfulness for me about Latka. what's interesting to me is that in that first season i did get that feeling of some of the jokes have that feeling of it's funny because he's foreign and or at least that's what it feels like the studio audience is reacting to but the way they sort of develop a sense of awareness about that really quickly and the way that turns into Vic Ferrari was fascinating. Oh my god, that that episode it, where where Latka turns into he develops multiple personalities. I don't think I've ever seen a sitcom do anything that well, I mean, let me rephrase that. I've seen a lot of sitcoms do things that weird, but I've never seen a sitcom as grounded as Taxi do something that weird. An interesting, an interesting behind-the-scenes note, the main reason that they did that was because Andy Kaufman really got sick of doing Taxi by that point. So they, the writers said, okay, here, you can do that. We'll do this so you can actually play a different character. Well, and yeah, There's definitely that sense. When you're watching it, you know, it, it's, it very much feels like, uh-oh, we don't want Andy Kaufman to leave. What can we throw at him? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel, you know, uh, honest or uh, natural for that character at all. It's just sort of... We need to keep Andy Kaufman interested. What other hilarious things could we have him do? And just that transformation, obviously, Vic Ferrari comes back, but that transformation, it's just so wonderful to watch in Lock of the Playboy, where he decides he's not getting enough chicks, so he's going to remake his entire persona, and then he can't get back to Latka. Yeah, that was kind of, that. that's a real, that's a tour de force episode right there. Yeah, that episode actually won a couple Emmys, I believe deservedly so and 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 when we look at i i didn't get a chance to see any tony clifton i know there's a couple other 
uh, personalities for Latka as well. But uh, uh, there's a there's a there were a couple. I mean, he became an English gentleman at one point. He never actually beca- he never became Tony Clifton proper. Uh, if the Vic Ferrari was kind of a watered down Tony Clifton, there was a there was actually supposed to be a season one episode where he was going to play to, play Tony Clifton as basically he was Andy Kaufman, but he was playing Tony Clifton, and Tony Clifton was going to be a guest star on Taxi as Louis's brother. But because Kaufman was such <laughs> such a bizarre performance artist, like this was a guy who lived for awkward pauses. He basically showed up on set as Tony Kauf- as Tony Clifton, playing Tony Clifton as a total utter asshole, and purposely got himself thrown off the set. <laughs> yep, because that's the kind of thing that can happen when you hire Andy Kaufman to be Andy Kaufman. Yeah, though that that's actually the uh, I think Latka sort of suffers in the early episodes because you can clearly tell. I mean, yes, there's the weirdness which is delightful that you talked about, but there is a sense that this guy that they put that they put him in the show because they wanted to have Andy Kaufman on their show, and it took a while for him to actually become a character on the show until like around I think episode eight, Paper Marriage, when he's running the risk of being deported that you actually feel like this guy's a real person and not just somebody mumbling gibberish off to the side. Which is also the episode we meet Jim, yes? Yes. It, it is, yeah, because Jim, Jim's an interesting character because he was introduced in season one as the guy who, as just this random guy who marries Latka. And then in season two, when they wrote off Randall Carver's character, John Burns, between seasons, they basically brought that character back and made him a full-time member. And even in his first appearance, you can tell that they knew that this is a guy we might want to try something more with later on. Well, there's just so much space there with that character. If you want to, you know, if you want to bring it back, I love uh, Elegant Iggy when he, he, apparently he can play the piano. It's it's great. Yeah, there's there's all these one there's always all these wonderful little outbursts from Jim where his Harvard education betrays him. Like you can see him rant. He'll quote something. He'll play the piano. He'll be able to have meaningful thoughts about art, and that was just always something so interesting and yet also tragic about the character that he clearly did have this knowledge and it just burned away over the years and talking about that's actually something that i really want to talk about with taxi because we've talked a lot about how funny taxi is taxi is a really dark show a lot of the time this is a show that yes it's about all these goofy cab drivers and their antics but it never shies away from the fact that these people really don't want to be cab drivers and the odds that they're ever going to be anything other than cab drivers is pretty slim. Yeah, they you know a character like Jim is hilarious, but when you start to think about him, every now and again, they'll if you if you're thinking about the motivations for something or you 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 hear a snippet about sort of his family, there's a there's a tragedy that could be made, you know, a very different hour-long drama could be made about that character if they didn't want to go for comedy with it. And that's true of, that's definitely true of Louie. That's, you know, he could be the uh, anti-hero of his own hour long drama. That's true of a lot of these characters. And yeah, it's one of the things where everything's played for humor, but the reason it really sticks with you and is so effective is that, that humor comes from a place and it comes for most of these characters. It comes from a less than uh, sunny place. Kate, please don't let Showtime hear what you just said, because it's not too late for Christopher Lloyd to do that. Well, uh, before we move more into the the themes of the show, I did want to also mention about Andy Kaufman 
Uh, one of my favorite things that they do with him, I think probably my favorite thing that they do with that actor, is they just sort of give him these side bits uh, that that he gets to play with over the course of an entire episode. The one that comes to mind right now is when he gets his own, he gets a free men's wardrobe and then spends the rest <laughs> of the episode in increasingly ridiculous costumes. But the, because it's completely, it's only in the background. He has almost no dialogue throughout the episode after he wins his, his clothes. The, the studio audience isn't paying any attention to it. And so they never laugh when he walks in, dresses a cowboy and it's just sort of in the background dressed with a 10 gallon hat because they're paying attention to everything else that's going on with the, with the A and the B plot. And I love, and you, and I'm sure Kaufman was having a blast with, with elements like that, where he got to be creative and sort of subversive in a, in a entertaining way, uh, in a very small way. But yeah, I, I love the way that they would just sort of, you know, watching the show with the, with its laugh track, you know, see, picking up on the, all these different jokes that were, that are these, these sources of humor that, are clearly ahead of their time. And so the audience isn't catching it, but as a viewer now seeing the other shows that have come later that have been inspired by taxi, you can see all this other humor going on in the background. And it's just, it's an extra level of entertaining. I get the feeling that if it had gone on any, any longer, he probably would have started to pull a Patton Oswalt on King of Queens type thing, like just standing motionless in the background a lot. <laughs> It's delightful. Uh, so are there any other characters that we want to talk about or should we dive in more fully to sort of the themes and the the uh, the inspirations, I guess, for for Taxi? Like when you think Taxi, like Latka, Reverend Jim and Louie, they're the ones who you that's like the trinity of characters. I mean, obviously, everyone else is really good, but those three are there. As I said, as I said about Louie, those are sitcom. Those are golden sitcom creations. I would just want to mention, though, that what's great to me about Alex is that he's he avoids that trap of, you know, sometimes the central character in a sitcom is purposefully bland so that the ensemble will stand out more. And I, I don't think Alex is one of those characters. He's more akin to uh, Ted uh, to Ted Danson on Cheers. More Ted Danson than Ted Mosby. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's got he's fun to be around. And, you know, he, he has you know, his. His relationship to everyone is is enjoyable, but he does have sort of an essential sadness and a schlubbiness that they never overplay, but it's always present. Speaking of Ted Danson, fun fact, there's a season four episode where Ted Danson does appear on Taxi playing this very effeminate, snobby hairdresser who gives Elaine a terrible haircut. And apparently Glenn and Les Charles, who were working on Taxi at the time, saw that guy, thought, hey, we're, hey, we're interested in doing another show. We should keep this guy in mind. And that would be uh, sitcom history. Um, the only other element I wanted to make sure to mention, obviously Tony's a terrible boxer, but I love that they actually make Bobby a good actor. Oh, there are some amazing bits. Like Jeff Conaway, he was sadly left the show after season three due a bit because of substance abuse issues. But he was always, I felt, a hidden weapon for the show. There's, he could be so compellingly dramatic when he wanted to be. And then so Raleigh comic, there's that early episode, uh, Louis' high school reunion, where he gets the idea to pretend to be Louis and go to the reunion in Louis' place. And watching Jeff Conaway play Danny DeVito is amazing. Well, and obviously everybody who's working at the cab, uh, for the cab company, they don't want to be doing this besides, I guess, Alex and maybe Louie, but they have other aspirations. But, you know, Tony's a terrible boxer, so that's why he's not achieving success. But I like that it, they don't make everybody else failures at what they would like to be doing. 
that there are other reasons that they don't necessarily succeed and become able to leave the cab company. So Bobby's a great actor, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. I think another thing that Taxi has over some other workplace comedies is they get the balance of plots or elements related to their actual jobs versus plots or elements that are not related to their actual jobs. You know, it's too often, like it seems like uh, on the American office, every episode is a different work holiday or theme that allows them to not be working. Whereas there are plenty of episodes of taxi that revolve around working where they do or, or driving a taxi. I mean, for instance, the great race is I think one of the best episodes I watched. Oh, the great, that's a sensational episode. And also in, also in TV trivia, which I'm basically full of after spending so much time looking at the show, that episode was written, was the first TV writing credit of Glenn Gordon Karen, who would create moonlighting. Ooh, very interesting. Yeah, the, that, that is definitely a really effective episode. And again, it's when you have the – they're good cabbies when they want to be, too. They're good at things. They're, they may not have their chosen – you know, they may not have their lives all figured out, but that doesn't mean that they don't have uh, a lot of ambition and a lot of skills. And I, and I guess I, for me, I always enjoy watching people who are good at something be good at something, even if it's not necessarily, in this case, the job that they would all like to be doing. Oh, God. Now now I'm envisioning the Aaron Sorkin version of this show where they I'm all sorry. think it's like a really noble calling. So thanks. Undo it. Undo um, it. Um, oh, God. Oh. Why would you now? I just have this image in my head of Judd Hirsch taking Mary Lou Henner aside for five minutes and explaining to her why everything she does as a driver is wrong, and this is why he, she should listen to him because he's a man who's been doing this for twenty years. <laughs> well, and because she doesn't mean to, but she keeps making all of these mistakes because she secretly hates herself, and and she needs this man to show her the right way. Uh, anyway. Also, she oh, probably trips over herself a lot. She probably does have a lot of uh, a lot of physical humor, which is a great way to take us to the different kinds of comedy. Do we want to talk about some of these different things? I appreciate the ver oh, variety of, of of comedic pathways. So there's obviously there's cultural references, there's there's wit, everything with Latka and his language is ridiculous. But there's also a lot of really fun uh, physical comedy too. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, we've already cited a couple of the key examples, like uh, Louis taking Louis, t Louis accidentally taking a tranquilizer and singing in the middle of it. There's uh, an episode where uh, Jim dates Louis, no, Jim dates Tony's sister, and Tony actually picks Jim up like he's going to holding him by his belt and his jacket like he's going to throw him out the door. There's a lot of just great broad physical comedy in the show and a lot of great performance comedy as well. There, I mentioned the impersonation of Louie. There's a great it scene in the episode Jim Gets a Pet where Judd Hirsch goes through about six or seven different impressions in the span of two minutes to explain to Jim why he needs to stop gambling. <laughs> yes. Um, and I would say also that along with all those different kinds of humor, the way that they fold in sort of the the big pathos moments like that is so hard to do on even the best sitcoms and and like you know most sitcoms stumble on that here and there but when it happens on taxi it almost always feels natural and it almost always lands no matter which character it's coming from which is really impressive yeah it's a very it's a deep bench and they are all capable of doing both the comedy and the drama and that's not the case most of the time. The the first thing that comes to mind for me is, of course, that pilot where we get this wonderful 
heartbreaking scene with with Judd Hirsch's character, with Alex, talking about his daughter and, and just random road trip to Miami. Do we ever hear about her again? Um, she, uh, there, is an ep- there is an episode in, I think, either season two or three where she does get married and Alex goes to her wedding. Uh, Alex's ex-wife, uh, Phyllis, who was played by Louise Lasser, she'd pop up a few times, mostly to be played as a depressed divorcee who was trying to get some attention from Alex. And in one episode, tries to get attention from Louis, and well, things fall apart from there. <laughs> but but it's it that doesn't you know, and, and you can tell it's sort of like Vienna Vienna waits. You know that this this really effective uh, dramatic moment isn't necessarily going to change anything about what the show is. But that for me, it's still managed to work, even knowing that I'm probably not going to see this daughter character again. That that performance from Judd Hirsch really works in that pilot and yeah this is this is one of the episodes there one of the shows that I wrote up when we did our greatest pilots uh month theme at Sound on Sight and it, it definitely made me more curious to to check out the rest of the series so it's a very effective pilot as well yeah, there is no way you could get a pilot like this greenlit today. The third uh, act, a, no. a pilot that a the third the a the the third act takes place completely outside of the rest of the setting, and it's such a dark, it's such a sad and affecting moment. And you could, and it's such an interesting choice for a sit for a pilot to take that approach. Yeah, and 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 I would say it's they make a really tricky decision by having Alex. You know, by having him essentially be kind of a deadbeat dad, even though he's, you know, as as who he is now, he's a very likable person, which is really gutsy. He's a hundred percent a deadbeat dad. He's not kind of a deadbeat yeah, dad. Yeah, and what I like is that he's entirely honest about it in that scene. Not only, I mean, yes, he sort of tries to build a bit of a connection, but he he's not going to lie to this girl. He's going to he'll admit, yeah, I was look, I was happy to take a way out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really unusual. Yeah, unusual is exactly the correct word for that set of choices, and it's also effective. Well, and talking about how great this this show is and how much you really enjoyed it, and we are over time. We're out of time already, but I do need to, I guess, before asking you guys if any you have any other final episodes you want to mention or, or thoughts. Why has this not lasted in people's imaginations the way that we clearly all feel it should? Because this is a very, this is a really good show. It's a really consistent show. It's aged incredibly well. It doesn't feel dated to me hardly at all. Why is Taxi more forgotten than it deserves to be? I wonder if maybe this is a shallow reason, but I wonder if it's just because it didn't have as ridiculously long a run as most other classic sitcoms I can think of of the same period did. Like, how many seasons did Cheers get, for instance? I want to say, like, 12? I yeah. think it was, I think, 11. 11, 12, something yeah. like that. Yeah, Taxi's only five seasons, which for, when I think of sitcoms of this era, that just seems really, really slim. Yeah, and that fifth season, they only got by the skin of their teeth. They ran four seasons on ABC, and then ABC canceled the show, and then Paramount worked out a deal with NBC to bring it back for a fifth season, and that fifth season was then the lowest rated season, and they canceled it. I noticed it had four different time slots. Uh, yet proof that in 40 years, networks have learned nothing. So <laughs> that, I think that's a good, that's definitely an argument for it. An argument I think also is Taxi's sort of in an interesting 
time period per se for sitcoms because it falls it's essentially the bridge between the mary tyler moore show and cheers because that it's creative the creative staff who created taxi were former writers for mtm that they moved to start taxi and then some of taxi's writers the charles brothers moved to start cheers so it kind of occupies a middle ground between two shows and that but that we consider to be very very important long-running sitcoms and i think sort of it gets gotten in that respect which is which is a shame because as we just spent so much time talking it's so good now do we have any final thoughts or a final uh, favorite episodes or moments that we want to talk about less uh i would uh just a quick thing i do want to say about the show was that this was a great sitcom in terms of being a new york based sitcom i mean you can talk you talk about your friends and your sex in the city for their fantasy versions of new york this felt like real 1970s, 1980s New York. It was with it was grimy, had beaten up apartments. The taxi cab depot was clearly a place that had been around for at least a few decades. But the pla- the places, the people, and everything about it, this was just a very quintessential New York show. Definitely. And just a quick favorite episodes we talked about of them but yeah reverend jim a space odyssey the great race uh i actually think the la- the series finale uh with a uh, grand gesture which was not really written as a series finale but it, it, that's a terrific just final swan song for all of the characters they all get a chance to do something nice and they walk out of the garage they're going back tomorrow but they're feeling a little better about it uh since we didn't talk about her much i just wanted to quickly mention that uh mary lou henner's character uh, elaine is really interesting and I feel like doesn't have too many other corollaries in sitcom history because she doesn't, uh, this sort of goes to the naturalism we were talking about before. Um, she doesn't feel like a sitcom character I've seen before. She's, she's not, she doesn't fit in into sort of the, the gender role boxes you might expect. And this was sort of touched on before, but I just wanted to reiterate how, uh, how unusual in a really pleasant way, they you know the handling of that character was oh it's delightful i as that's one of those things i sort of always cringe about when i watch older shows i'm like oh am i gonna hate all of the female characters and she's she's delightful i love that she's a divorced mother of two who actually talks about her kids and yet is not defined by the show in that manner she's not only a mother she's many things and she's also the performance is great mary lou henner's wonderful yeah she's fantastic and i just i love the interplay that she and louie have they're constantly just sniping back and forth he's always hitting on her my one of my all-time favorite interactions is just when he says i could tell people that we did what we did and that it's my business and then she turns around and says well i could tell them you couldn't that's my business <laughs> and louis just the you could just see his face fall slack but even and then there were some like we mentioned louis goes too far which i just want to talk too much because we've already gone too long at this point but it's just a that was like every all so many of the relationships on taxi it was funny it was emotional and it felt like real people which was just one the show's greatest strength well and she along with you know Lavka as well and all of these characters are treated with complete respect by everyone in that 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 cab stand by the show i mean except for louis but he's louis but yeah but, but by the 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 show itself and the writers Every character is treated with respect. I think that's a big way, big reason that for me, the like the Lodka character doesn't feel like a uh, product of its time, difficult 
uh, uh, racial element kind of character because he is treated so, with so much respect and uh, and love by all the other characters. And that, that is just as true of Elaine and everybody else. She's never treated uh, by the show as an object. And that is an unfortunate rarity in some of the shows from this time period. And still now also. And still, yes. Oh, God, I wish that wasn't <laughs> the case, but so is... Final thoughts? It's a terrific, terrific show, and I do hope that at some point in the future it does make it to streaming sources, because I would just love for people to rediscover this show, because it totally deserves it. Absolutely. Les, thank you so much for coming on to to talk with us about this great show and prompting us to to finally catch up with it. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, You can find my writing online at the AV Club. As I said earlier, there's going to be a piece on Taxi up there this week, and I'm covering what seems like 16 different shows on a regular basis. (laughs) And you can also find me on Twitter at L-E-S-I-S-M-O-R-E-9, letter O, 9. That's Less is More 909. Excellent. And thank you again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you. I was aware of it, but I hadn't really dove, di- dived, I hadn't jumped in on the, on the series <laughs> before this. And so I was really glad to get the opportunity.